Oh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hey, welcome, welcome to Faith Church. We're glad you're here. Um, we haven't met. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here. So, joy to have you today. And uh, it's really, truly an, an honor that you would take a little bit of your holiday celebration and choose to spend it with us. It means the world to get to celebrate the birth of our Savior with each and every one of you. So, would you just kind of turn to your neighbor and give him a big old smile and say, Hey, Merry Christmas. Moms and dads, on your kids' way in, they should have gotten a goodie bag, and inside the goodie bag is lots of just fun activities for them during this time, as well as some uh, glow sticks for a little bit later on, and uh, all, all the, the moms and dads and others capable of holding a uh, live fire, you should have also received a candle on your way in. We'll, we'll be lighting these candles a little bit later on in our message. Each week, over the last few weeks, we've been lighting a candle for Advent, as we've come to, 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 to remember, to reflect, and anticipate the arrival of Jesus. And today we're actually going to be lighting two Advent candles. I'm going to light one here in just a minute to represent love. And then at the end of our time reading the Christmas story, I will light our candle representing Christ. We'll do that together. Uh, at the end. But first, I want to go ahead and light our candle to represent love. John 3.16 says this, For God uh, showed love towards the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Will you join us as we pray together? Father, we thank you that you loved the world to such a degree that you had to express it by giving your love in the form of your Son for us. Today, as we take some time to reflect and to turn our attention to the meaning and the purpose of this holiday, the Christmas holiday, Lord, that you would be honored, and that we, Lord, would receive your love. Holy Spirit, help us make room to not only receive love, but also give love away too. We ask this in the name of the Father who loves us, the Son who died for us, showing us what love looked like, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen. Christmas, it's the time where we celebrate so much. There's just so much joy and laughter and celebration and love. Jesus came because God loves. This is what we read in John 3.16. That God loved the world so much that he had to give. Love was this expression that came in the form of generosity. Why, why do we give gifts to one another at Christmas? Because at the root of it, it's actually to express love and affection for others. This is why we, we give. As a church today, we've talked about it for several weeks now. For those of you that uh, Faith Church is your home, we're giving in a Christmas offering. And everything that is given today uh, in the house and online is going to help support two of our outreach partners, one locally and one, one globally. We, we do that as a church because we want to demonstrate the same kind of love 
that God has demonstrated towards us. We, we give because of love. I think love is the mark of Christmas. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-11, through 11, the Apostle John writes and he says it this way, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I don't know if your family is like my, my family, but um, we are a bit of a, a loving family. We're pretty affectionate in uh, the Hunt household, right? We, we freely will say, hey, I love you, and remind each other that we have love. We will uh, embrace with a hug, or, or uh, with our kids, we'll, we'll give them a kiss on the forehead. And this is something that I experienced as a child. I grew up in a very affectionate, very loving home. Some of you, maybe you can't quite relate. You're not sure what that would be look would look like to have your mom or your dad, grandfather, to look you in the eye and tell you, hey, I, I love you. Maybe that wasn't something that you got to experience. In our family, we did. In fact, it, it even started all the way back with our, our grandparents. Even to this day, my grandmother will call on like a birthday or a special occasion and uh, she'll call and she'll be real quick to tell you, oh, I love you. It's so good to hear your voice, all, all the things. She loves my mustache. Uh, she really does. She's a big fan of the mustache my grandma is. Uh, but one thing that she always will do is uh, in a text message on a birthday or something, and, and it's grandma, so the text is in all caps. That's just kind of how that goes sometimes. But she'll send us a text, and at the end of the text, at the end of a birthday card, it's always the same. It ends with this, X-O-X-O, Grandma Hunt. And that's how she signed our birthday cards and now text messages all the time. X, oh, this, this marking of love. She's wanting us to know her love and affection. The reality is this, though. Love is not something that just is said. Love is something that must be shown. And God loved the world so much that he chose to show us love. So Jesus came to the earth to show us love. He came to the earth to show you what love looks like, to show me what love looks like. We, we read, before we lit our Advent candle to represent love, we, we read the scripture, John 3, 16. It's perhaps one of the most famous verses in all of scriptures. In fact, people who never go to church know what John three sixteen says quite often. But it was Jesus' own words telling us about how to experience, know, and recognize love. In fact, he goes on in John 3, after he talks this famous verse in John 3, 16, he, he keeps going talking about this love in John 3, verse 17. Look at these words of Jesus. He says, This God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. But anyone who does not believe in him, here's the part that most of us miss, anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's son. The judgment is based on this one fact. God's light came into the world, but people love darkness more than they love the light. And their actions were evil. 
All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. I love that idea that that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, who have accepted him into our lives, who indeed believe in him as the light of the world, the son of God come for us, that, that we can come close to God without any fear without any worry, without any concern, because what we see when we get close to him is actually his love at work in us. That's what we see. I think when we read this passage, a lot of us uh, hear that word, uh, love the darkness and hate the light because there's evil in us. And, and if you're like me, you, you read that word and you're like, oh yeah, 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 that's definitely not me because I'm not an evil dictator. Right? Like, I'm not an evil tyrant. I'm not one of the evil villains in the Marvel movies who are wreaking havoc all over society. I'm not somebody who's murdered anybody, right? Like, I'm not harming anyone. Evil isn't about me. This verse isn't about me. And you probably would think of yourself, well, I'm not evil. I'm, I'm actually a good person. I do pretty good. I do good things. I'm kind to others, especially I'm really generous by the bell ringers at Walmart. I'm always helpful there. I, like, I'm doing the best I can. I'm good in this, in this way. But that word evil is an interesting word because in the, the Greek, it's a little bit different. It's one of the best words we can use in our English. But if you go to the words that Jesus was speaking in both Aramaic and in Koine Greek, that word evil means this. It means an unrighteous morality. It means spiritual ineptness. In other words, your spiritual life cannot flourish. You are unable to produce a flourishing life on your own. you have morality and it's unrighteous morality because it's your choice of morality versus God's standard of morality. The Bible would refer to that as wickedness. It's evil. It's unrighteousness. See, we like to, to, to define life on our terms thinking, I get to decide what is good and what is evil. I get to, to look at society and be like, well, it's not that bad. I, I'm not as bad as this person. And we grade on a curve, don't we, when we start looking at our life compared to someone else's life. And we grade ourselves generously in a gracious way, but then when we look at other people, we, we, we don't even give them the benefit of the doubt. We make it the worst possible thought. We, we're grading ourselves based on our best intentions and the best interpretation of our intentions, and we're grading other people in the right and wrong, evil and, and good category based on the worst interpretations of their actual actions. Anytime we are looking to define good and evil on our own terms, we're actually living with unrighteous morality. And the Bible says that that's evil. And and the the thing of this verse is Jesus is letting you know, um, here's the the deal. Um, Evil is the real thing. It does exist, and we're all born with it. It's in us. In fact, the only way to escape that and to miss out on the judgment and to not feel the condemnation that so many of us walk around in, the only way you could experience no condemnation is if you begin to believe in who Christ is. See, we're all born into a world where, where we feel that sense of condemnation often. We feel a sense of shame. In fact, some of you were really worried about going to church for the first time in a really long time. I don't know how long it's been for you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped foot in a church. And can I just say, man, what courage. 
What bravery. I'm really glad you're sitting here. For whatever it is that brought you here today. For, for many of us, though, we, we look at our lives and we definitely have a sense of, of shame. We have some secrets. We feel guilty. We feel condemned. We, we're, just, we're just not sure about all of this. And the only way we can remedy that feeling is by recognizing that love came, Jesus came to show us love, that he is love, and he is the only one that is the remedy to the problem of condemnation. It is Christ himself. I don't know if you've realized this, but this sense of of shame and condemnation, it, it, it shows up because there is a need in your life that you can't fill. And no other human can. Here's the need. The need that you have and that I have is that we were created with an infinite capacity to be filled with love. How much love do you need? Here's the answer to that question. More. You need more love than what you're experiencing now. You you feel loved, you feel secure, but, but at the end of the day, you're still being driven because you want more love and acceptance. You want more affirmation. You want want more joy. There's something more that you want, and it all stems from a need and a craving and 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 a crater of our heart and soul that is longing to be filled with love. It's a never ending, insatiable desire to be loved, which means no finite human could ever fill that. It takes a God who is infinite who himself has an unending nature and an unending supply of love to fill that gap, that crater caused by our own sin and evil. This world in which we live in where we long to be filled with love, but we find ourselves on the outside of it. In Matthew's gospel, especially in Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2, it's a synopsis of the Christmas story, a summary. giving you kind of a, 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 a bullet point kind of a uh, short summary of the entirety of the, the story of Christ. And in the beginning of Matthew 1 and in verse 18, it says this, that this is how Jesus the Messiah, somebody say Messiah. Messiah. It, it simply means Christ. Jesus the Messiah, the Christ, was born. And it tells some of the story and it bookends it in verse 23, kind of concluding some of it and says this, and she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. The title, Jesus the Messiah, indicates what he came to do, which was to save his people from their sins. In the, in the Greek, the word for Messiah or Christ looks like this. It's, it's the Greek word Christos. And in the Greek, you see there, non-translated, all the Greek letters in the alphabet, the first letter is an X. You see that? It's an X. In fact, uh, this would become a shorthand way eventually for the followers of God in the early centuries to when they would interact with another person, they would actually draw an X in the sand with their foot while having a conversation as if a covert way to say, have you been marked by the Messiah yet? And if they had received and they were a believer and they were a follower of the way of Jesus, they would just nonchalantly put an X in the floor and the sand themselves and draw this letter X. It became a shorthand verb or shorthand form of Christ, of the anointed one. So when people uh, 
say Merry Xmas, don't get bent out of shape. Because that's just the shorthand way of saying Christ. See, the culture would try to remove Christ and redefine what Christmas is. The problem is you can't redefine truth. It's an immutable fact. True is true. You could try to redefine and reterm and re reorient what Christmas means, but it doesn't matter. You can't really take it out because Christ is present and fills the very reality of this holiday, which we see because Christ came to us. Christ came for us. He is the X. He's, he's, he's the one. It's, it's interesting uh, when you think about this letter X in terms of mathematics. Now, I don't know if you're a math person or not. I like words more than I like numbers, but hang with me just for a minute. Some of you love, love, love math. When you come to an algebraic equation, often, most often, you're faced with a math problem and you have to solve for the letter X. Very good. You're solving for the letter 7 times X equals 49. Right? Like, there's a solution in there somewhere and the solution to the mathematic equation will only be discovered when you figure out what the x represents there is a problem that we all have and want to solve it's a sin condemnation full of shame it's an evil within us problem and the solution is found when you discover the x Friends, Jesus is the solution to the human condition of sin. This endless need for love that cannot be filled any other way but in the loving God himself in the form of Jesus. In the Bible, the literature of Scripture, there's something called biblical numerology. Again, numbers. Not my thing, but I like literature. And the Bible is a, a great literary work of art. And in, in ancient Near East literature, they would use numbers to not just give details of a quantity, but they also would use numbers to indicate both a quantity of something and a meaning of something larger and greater. It has a, a larger metaphor of life. So for example, uh, when the earth, when all of creation was created in seven days, that seventh day is representative of the reality that it was perfect and complete. It is now finished. Seven is this number of, of completion. There, there were 12 tribes to the nation of Israel. Twelve is a number all throughout the Bible to represent God's governance that is whole and holistic and the peace of his reign. It's the number 12. The, the number 40 is used so many times in the Bible. And each time it's really used, it's used around the theme of testing and temptation. That's why Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. Noah was in the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. There is a testing. It's trying to alert us to there's a testing at hand. This week when I was reading the, the story of Christmas, I noticed some numbers that I had never really picked up on before. In Matthew chapter 1, especially in verse 17, it begins to articulate the generations that preceded Jesus' arrival. There were 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 generations from the Babylonian exile to the arrival and the birth of Jesus. 14 of them. Three different 
segments of it. In fact, in fact, if you were to break that down, 14 is divisible by 7. And if you look at those as seven seg- generations that are seven in each grouping, you would find that there were six groupings of seven generations from Abraham all the way to Jesus. They were waiting generation after generation after generation for the fulfillment that God made of a promise God gave to Abraham that Jesus would arrive and be the solution and the fulfillment of something. Here's the thing that got me. When I started thinking about six and seven, see, seven is the number of perfect completion. So at just the right time, the fulfillment of all God had promised showed up. But it was the number six that got me. Because six in biblical numerology represents human sinfulness. Because six is just short of seven. And Romans says, for we all humans fall short of the glory of God's perfection. And at just the right time in humanity, when evil and sinfulness abounded, God sent his son to be the solution, to be the answer, to be the remedy, to be the solution for the human condition of sin once and for all. Jesus is the solution, friends. I have here with me uh, a couple popsicle sticks. These are a little bit larger for emphasis. I'm not sure if there was a real popsicle attached to this. If there was, I want to buy the box because that's fantastic. Here's what I would love, though. I would love to hear from you all uh, what your favorite flavor of Popsicle is. Now, that means boys and girls, you get to yell real loud. Moms and dads, you get to yell real loud. Grandmas and grandpas, you get to yell real loud what your favorite flavor of Popsicle is. And if you don't participate, you're on the naughty list. (laughs) Maybe it would work. I don't know. All right, okay, so count of three. I want to hear your favorite flavor of Popsicle. Ready? One, two, three. Whoa, that's a lot of popsicles. Y'all are a flavorful group. Now, here's here's what I want us to see with these popsicles. If I take, take these two popsicles and I intersect them, I have made an, very good, an X. We've been talking today about how Jesus is the solution to the problem of sin. We've been talking about how, how love is the mark of Christmas and that even if you try to remove Christ in a shorthand way and you replace it with an X Christ is still present friends X is the spot where divinity intersected humanity on this day on Christmas day this is when the solution of the problem of sin showed up in human form It was on Christmas Day that love came down for us. Friend, love eventually would die on a cross. The whole reason love came down was so that one day the loving Son of God would die on a cross, making atonement so you and I could find the remedy that plagues each and every one of us. The morality you're trying to define on your own, what's good, what's bad, on your own terms, that has left our world still chaotic and full of evil. 
the solution is only one, and it is the Son of God. The cross of Christ, friends, is the solution for the missing love and wholeness in your life. It's just him. Can, can I just acknowledge real quick that, that some of us in this room, some of us watching online, you've been very reluctant leading up to this holiday. Maybe because your home isn't as full of love as you would want it to be. Maybe it's not as full of love as it used to be. And you've been reluctant. Some of you have kind of been dreading, but excited and dreaded and exciting. You've been conflicted with so much inside of you. And I just want you to know, despite your loneliness, despite the shame, despite any element of condemnation you feel, love can come into your life and home today too. Would, would you be bold enough to pray a prayer that would simply say, God, would you show me your love today? Maybe you're somebody, man, you're a believer, you followed God, you've, you've walked with the Lord so much of your life, and while, while there is some sadness and maybe some sorrow in your life right now, ultimately you know and have experienced the love of God. Would you be bold enough to say, God, would you help love be seen through me to someone else this Christmas? We, we all need to receive his love, but we all are designed to give his love to others. Here in just a minute, I'm going to read the Christmas story. And it will get pretty dark, really dark in here as we do. In fact, I'll be blowing out the candle of love, and at the end of the Christmas story, we will light the candle of Christ, realizing that he has come to us. And then as we have lit this candle, we'll begin to receive that light ourselves. And we all get to participate in this. We all get to receive the light and love of Christ but we also need to give the light and life of Christ to those around us. It might mean you have to take a couple steps to make sure it gets to the next person, reach behind your row to do that. And we will watch slowly as a room full of darkness begins to experience the light and love of Christ among us all as we receive freely and give freely. I do, again, mention it will get a little bit dark so moms and dads make sure your kids are in spot and there are some wonderful glow sticks that they can use if you're not ready for them to set your hair on fire with a real candle you're welcome as we get ready to hear the christmas story i i want us to pray and while i'm praying i i actually want you to be courageous enough to pray God, will you show me your love? If you've never experienced the saving love and forgiveness that comes from Christ. And pray, God, would you help me give your love this Christmas? Would you pray? Let's bow. Heavenly Father, you are a God of infinite love. There is no one like you. 
Holy Father, would you help us have a realization as we sit in this darkness? Help us have a realization that you came to the darkness of our soul in the form of a son to be the solution to the problem of sin that erodes our ability to fully receive love from one another. God, would you show us your love? Holy Father, would you help us through your spirit to show love to others around us too? In Jesus' name, amen. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and a darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God hovered over the surfaces of the waters. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end, and he will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The zeal and passionate commitment of the Lord will make this happen. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be frightened, Mary, the angel told her. God has chosen to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary asked the angel, how can I have a baby? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy and he, he will be called the Son of God. While Mary was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace Mary. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary. For the child in her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet, 
who said, Behold, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son. He will be called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. This prophecy from Isaiah was given 700 years before Jesus was born. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He brought Mary home to be his wife. She remained a virgin until her son was born. And at that same time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Everyone returned to their own towns to register for the census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled from the village of Nazareth in Galilee and took with him Mary, his wife, who was great with child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger. That night there were shepherds in the fields outside the village guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of God's glory surrounded them. They were terribly frightened by the angel, but he reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for everyone. A Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord will be born tonight in the Bethlehem, the city of David. And this is how you can recognize him. You will find a baby lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly the angels were joined by a vast host from heaven, the armies of heaven praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward all mankind. The angels left, and the shepherds said to each other, Come, let's go to Bethlehem and see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in a manger. The shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard their story were astonished. The shepherds went back to their fields and flocks, glorifying and praising God. But Mary kept all of these things in her heart. So, during the reign of King Herod, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. And at the same time came wise men from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star that arose and we've come to worship him. Herod was deeply disturbed by their question, as was all of Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the religious law. Where do the prophets say the Messiah will be born, he asked. In Bethlehem, they said. For this is what the prophet Micah wrote. O Bethlehem of Judea, you're not just a lowly village of Judah. For a ruler will come to you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. So Herod sent a message to the wise men. He told them, go to Bethlehem. Search diligently for the child, and when you find him, come and tell me that I may go and worship him too. After this meeting, the wise men went on their way, and once again the star appeared to guide them. 
all the way to Bethlehem. It was ahead of them and it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house where the child and his mother were. They fell down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest. They gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But when it's time to leave, they went another way because God warned them in a dream not to return to King Herod. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in another dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod will try and kill the child. That very night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his wife, and they stayed in Egypt until Herod died. When King Herod learned that the wise men had outwitted him, he sent soldiers to kill all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under because the wise men had told him that the star had first appeared about two years before. Then, later, when Herod died, an angel appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Get up, take the child and his mother, and return to Israel. All those who wish to harm the child are dead. So Joseph obeyed. He arose and he took the child and his mother and re-entered Israel. On arriving, he settled in the village of Nazareth, fulfilling the words of the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, revealing the love of God. He is the light of the world and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And God showed His great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And this is the story of Christmas.
wax do its thing before you set it anywhere you can take these home with you or we'll have buckets on the way out we just want to say merry christmas thanks for worshiping and celebrating jesus with us uh it's an absolute joy and honor to be a part of the family of god with each and every one of you i really hope today's message was life-giving as a church we want to help you encounter god and take another next step in your allegiance to jesus I want to ask you to take a step right now, in fact. Would you just share this message with a friend? Maybe post it on your social, text a coworker the link. Just be sure to include something that you learned or how it impacted you personally. When you do that, you get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in someone else. And don't forget to visit our central hub, faithchurchks.org. You'll find other next steps that you can take in your faith, including giving and partnership with us as we help others encounter Jesus like you've encountered him. Hey, we love you. And until we get to hang out again, remember, don't shrink back from your faithful allegiance to King Jesus.